Y'all know what we're going to do, right? You know what we're going to do? If you're here for the first time, you don't know what we're going to do, but you're going to catch on really fast. We are in our final week, our sixth week of a teaching series, all from the 23rd Psalm. From six little verses in this one psalm, we've spent six weeks breaking it down verse by verse, and we've started every week but one like this, and we're going to start this last week like this too. We're going to read together the 23rd Psalm in its entirety. We're going to do it from right here on our two side screens, if you would. That way we're all reading from the same translation, and we say the same words, and we don't confuse each other and stumble, bumble, fumble our way through it. Are you all ready to do this? Let's do it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Be seated. So normally... I'm a big fan of, when public speaking, not apologizing in advance for uh, mistakes or things, you know, for my speaking style, for the fact that I'm from Texas or any of those kinds of things. But I'm going to let you guys know something today. And maybe this is an apology in advance. Maybe this is just a heads up. Yesterday, I had one of the worst days of back pain that I've ever had in my life. It was actually kind of comical, I think, if you were watching me during setup yesterday. I fell down twice. My legs just went out from under me. It was funny as long as you weren't me. Now, I'm telling you this for a reason. I went home yesterday after setup, and I took some prescription pain medicine and some prescription muscle relaxers. They've done me a world of good. I'm like 85% this morning. I feel great. The problem is I put my notes for this message in my Bible after I took that medicine yesterday. So we could have ourselves a roller coaster ride of a sermon this morning. So if at any point I just start looking down and just staring at this, I'm like, wow, there is no telling what's in here, okay? So just bear with me and we will muscle through this together, okay? Awesome, very good. So like I said a moment ago, we have spent the past five weeks, a month and a half really, working our way through just six verses in this very short psalm. This takes up such an infinitely tiny little piece of the entirety of Scripture, and yet it is one of the most well-known passages of Scripture, one of the most often quoted, and one of the most beloved, this 23rd psalm. And we've been looking at it verse by verse. We're going to continue looking at it verse by verse today as we get into verse 6. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and open them up to the book of Psalms. Find the 23rd Psalm. Stick your finger in there. If you really want to you know, be precise, stick your finger right there on verse 6. And then hang on. Because we're going to start there, but then we're going to move around a little bit. But that will be kind of our base of operations today. 23rd Psalm, verse 6. While you're finding that, let me share something with you. Maybe you've picked up on this along the way for the last five weeks. Maybe you'll see it this morning as I say it and explain it. But what you, what you may not have caught in the first five verses is that David, who is the psalmist here, King David, the shepherd king, has been taking us on a journey. He's taken us on a journey through the first five verses of this psalm. We started out, remember, he's writing from a sheep's perspective about the good shepherd, right? We start out at the home ranch, right? We start out at the home ranch where he is in green pastures and has still waters. And then we left the home ranch and went up through the valley of the shadow of death, headed for the high country, 
the tablelands, where the Lord has prepared a table, right? And now, today, in verse 6, we're going to start our journey back down the mountain and back to the home ranch. We're going to complete the cycle. We've gone the full gamut of a year when we wrap this up today. So, as we head back to the home ranch, let's read together verse 6 and see what David says, again, writing from the perspective of the sheep. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Two key phrases, one long sentence here. We're going to look at it phrase by phrase. Let's start off with this goodness and mercy phrase. This is the sheep declaring his satisfaction, his supreme satisfaction with his shepherd. Supreme satisfaction with the shepherd. This sheep knows whether he is at home, right? At home on the, the home ranch with the green pastures and the still waters, whether he is going up through the valley of the shadow of death, facing all of the dangers, all of the predators, all of the natural disasters that reside in that valley, whether he is up in that high country, up in the tablelands, or whether he is returning home, this sheep knows that the good shepherd is with him. He's with him, and he's providing for him. He is protecting him. He is caring for him. This sheep knows whether he is living in abundance or whether he is living in scarcity, that the good shepherd is there. The good shepherd is caring for him, loving him, protecting him, providing for him. The sheep knows this because the sheep is under the ownership of the good shepherd. And so he is supremely satisfied. I like that phrase, supremely satisfied. That sounds good, doesn't it? How many of you have ever felt supremely satisfied? I think about supremely satisfied like, is that that moment during the Thanksgiving meal where you are, you've had everything that you wanted? You know, it's the moment before you go back and have more of what you wanted. Then you're no longer supremely satisfied. Then you're like, oh, <laughs> that was too much. But that supremely satisfied moment, that time in your life, where you have found just that blissful peace that no matter what, life is pretty good. Life is really good. Anybody feeling supremely satisfied today? I find that that's a rare occurrence. I talk to people about where they are in life, what their wants and their needs and their passions and their dreams and their desires are. Most of the people I talk to are not supremely satisfied. They have some, some itch, some want, some burning desire inside of them, something that they really would like to acquire or really would like to do or feel like they are living a less than life as long as they are without this thing or that. And so those people, I think, would say they are not supremely satisfied with the provider that they have. They're not supremely satisfied with the provision that they're receiving, with the care that they're receiving, with the protection that they are receiving. They're not supremely satisfied like this sheep, like David, as he writes in the 23rd Psalm. But maybe you are this morning. Maybe you are supremely satisfied. Maybe you're one of the few. I saw one head nodding up and down a few moments ago when I said, is somebody here this morning supremely satisfied? Maybe you are. That's cool. I'm glad if you are supremely satisfied. And if you are supremely satisfied, 
there's a very, very good chance that right now you would describe your life as good or great. Things are going better than could be expected, better than they have in the past. Maybe if I had you write down why you feel supremely satisfied, you might write down things like, I'm healthy, right? Yesterday, I was not supremely satisfied <laughs> because I did not feel very healthy, right? I didn't have a satisfactory feeling. So I probably would not have answered this question that way yesterday. Maybe that's just my flesh. I don't know. Maybe you would say if you're supremely satisfied that your dating relationship or your marriage relationship is off the hook, off the chain good. It's like, wow, it's never been this great before. I can't believe how good this is going. Maybe you would say things like, my kids, oh my goodness, they're making good grades in school, they're behaving, they're using their manners, they're not fighting with each other right now. Life is good. Maybe your career is on a great trajectory. Maybe you're taking off professionally. Whether you're just getting started in the workforce or whether you've been there for some time, you've just hit your stride and things are rolling, right? Or maybe, what's the date today? April the 13th? Maybe, maybe you just did your taxes and you're getting a refund. Amen. Woo, yes. Life is good, right? Life is, life is good when all of these good things are going. We can feel supremely satisfied, so excited, so happy. Because in those moments when life is so good, we're in the tablelands. We're up in that high country we talked about last week with the lush green grass and the crystal clean pure water and the, the care of the, of the great shepherd, of the good shepherd is so visible and so evident around us and, and life just seems awesome and blissful in that moment. But what about, what about those days like I had yesterday? I just confessed I might not have answered this question that I felt supremely satisfied yesterday because I was not experiencing good health. What happens when you have those kinds of days, those kinds of weeks or months or years? What happens then? What happens when the natural disasters occur, when the predators attack? Because if you've lived more than, you know, couple of months in this life, and I'm looking around, and I think all of us in this room are more than a few months old, you have realized that the predators are real, and that the natural disasters are going to happen. Life isn't always smooth and easy. We do not exist in the tablelands indefinitely. There is a valley. There are low points. There are storms. There are hard things that will hit each one of us. How do you feel when you get the cancer diagnosis? How do you feel when your boyfriend breaks up or your wife files for divorce? Are you supremely satisfied when your kids start running with the wrong crowd? Or when you get that pink slip with your paycheck? Are you supremely satisfied when your checking account is overdrawn and your credit cards are maxed out? Hard to express yourself as supremely satisfied when you face those things. If those things shake you, as I already confessed, they might have shaken me. If those things shake you, then maybe, maybe, maybe you're following the wrong shepherd. Maybe you've, you've looked in the wrong places for leadership or for provision or for protection. Maybe you're following some false shepherd, some shady shepherd who's leading you astray who's putting you in harm's way and you don't really see it. Or, another possibility exists. 
I would say this might have been me yesterday. Maybe you're following the good shepherd. You're in the flock of Jesus. You are, you are really in the right sheep pen, but you haven't fully realized or fully appreciated or even fully experienced the greatness of that good shepherd. You haven't fully appreciated the mercy and the love and the grace of Jesus. His goodness and his mercy, see, they don't leave us. They're with us on the home ranch. They are with us on the ascent through the valley of the shadow of death. They are with us in the tablelands, and they are with us as we go back down the mountain and complete the cycle or the circle of life, if you will. They're with us in the storms. They're with us in the predatory attacks. The goodness and mercy of Jesus are with us. And this sheep, David, is expressing his supreme satisfaction because he knows, surely your goodness and mercy, in some translations, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Not just in the tablelands, all the days of my life. The good days, the bad days, the hard times, the great times. Regardless of where, where you are with all of this, whether you're one who is supremely satisfied or maybe you're not supremely satisfied, you're supremely, or you're not supremely satisfied because you're outside of the flock of the Good Shepherd or you're not supremely satisfied because you're in the flock of the Good Shepherd but you haven't really grasped, you haven't really appreciated or fully downloaded the goodness and mercy of God. Either way, either way, you've probably fallen into um, a really common trap is what I would call it. Let's just, we could say a practice, just so maybe the word trap doesn't, doesn't catch you and, and hold you down, but just this, this habit that I think people get into. The habit is this, when you're not looking to the good shepherd in the good times and the bad, when you're not seeking him as your provider and your protector in, in all things at all times, then what we almost always do is we fall back on who? ourselves. You'll fall back on yourself. You will find your own way of leading yourself. You will look to your own strength. You will seek out your own wisdom. You will try to provide for yourself. You will try to protect yourself. You will lean hard into you instead of leaning hard into God. Try to handle life's up and downs on your own. Try to handle success on your own. And you may get away with it here and there once or twice. You may come out unscathed occasionally. But eventually, that catches up with you. Eventually, you will learn that you do not have the strength or the wisdom to be your own provider, your own protector, your own leader. You need the good shepherd. When you live life without the good shepherd's care, you forego his alert overwatching, right? He is an alert overwatcher. He's always watching over his flock, taking care to protect from all of the attacks of the predatory enemies that the sheep have. You forego the sacrifice that the good shepherd makes. Remember, the good shepherd is heavily invested in his flock. He is heavily invested. He has given it all, literally. He has sacrificed everything for the benefit of his sheep, for you and me. You have given up the grace and the goodness of God. You have given up the mercy and the grace which all of these things are born out of Jesus' love for his sheep. They're all born out of his love for the sheep. Check out John chapter 10, verse 11. John chapter 10, verse 11. It's a passage we've read, recited several times over the last several weeks. Let's, let's look at it again. John 10, 11, Jesus is speaking, and he says, I am 
the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, flip your Bibles over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3, verse 16. may take you a second to find that one. It's towards the back. It's a little book. If you don't have it by now, check out the screens. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Remember, all of these things I've been talking about that the Good Shepherd does, they're born out of his love for us. And here we have an affirmation of what Jesus has already said, that the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now we have, in John, have John saying, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. If you're a sheep who chooses to be part of the good shepherd's flock, then you live a life marked by the lavish love of Jesus. Your life is marked by the lavish love of Jesus. Whether you're living in good times or in bad times, whether your back is hurting or your marriage is cracking or your children are threatening or your job is slipping away, wherever you are, you live a life marked by the lavish love of Jesus, the good shepherd who gave his very life for you. Man, I have peace. I have peace when I stop and think about that. If I had really stopped yesterday and thought about the lavish love of Jesus, when I was falling down on the floor, <laughs> when I was hurting so bad that I just laid out flat for a while, I would have been praising God even for the pain because I know in that pain he had something for me, some lesson for me to learn, something that was going to benefit my life because he loves me so much. He loves me so lavishly that he allowed that to happen for my benefit and for his glory. Man, that is powerful stuff. So when you live that lavish, loved life of a sheep in the good shepherd's flock. When you are going through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil. Know that his staff is with you. His rod is with you. He is with you. He is protecting you. And even while the wolves nip at your heels, praise him because his love is way better, far greater than any attack of the enemy, of any natural disaster or anything else that could come down on you. I love to stop and to think about and to live in the promise of Jesus' goodness and his mercy that I have through him, through my relationship with him, my good shepherd. But you know what's really cool? And at the same time, really challenging? That First John verse didn't end where we stopped reading a moment ago. If you're reading in your Bible, you know there was another, another sentence after that. If not, we're popping it up on the side screens right now. Here's what John goes on to say. He says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And he continues, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. It's not enough just to realize that Jesus laid down his life for you. It's not enough to revel in the lavish love of the good shepherd in your own life. It's not enough. He says we've got to lay down our lives as well as followers of him. We have to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters, for the other sheep. 
We've got to follow Jesus' example. The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. We've got to follow his example and be good shepherds ourselves. The Bible says we're made in his image and his likeness. The word Christian, if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus today, if you're a sheep in his flock, Christian literally translates little Christ. We might call it a chip off the old block, right? We're to emulate what Jesus did, what Jesus said, how Jesus lived. We're to do the things that he did. We're to follow the example that he set. And that's what John is telling us here. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We've got to lay down our lives to bring in the lost sheep. Jesus laid down his life for the salvation of all who would follow him. And then he gave us the great commission. He said, go and make disciples. Go and bring other sheep into my sheepfold. Go and increase the flock. We've got to lay down our lives. We've got to get outside of ourselves. We've got to get past our own hurts, our own wants, our own needs. We've got to get past those things that, that make us think we're not living in the lavish love of Jesus, that, that we're falling short and that we're not supremely satisfied with our shepherd. We've got to get past all of that and live as Jesus lived, sacrificially. We've got to share Jesus' goodness and mercy through us. See, his goodness and mercy follows you all the days of your life. He's poured his goodness and his mercy over you and into you, you've got to let that goodness and mercy out of you and pour it into and onto others. You're the conduit. You're the messengers. It's not just professional Christians, pastors, preachers who are called to share the gospel, who are called to evangelize, who are called to share the good news with the other sheep. It's all of you. It's all of us who have to lay down our lives and go out and share Jesus' goodness and his mercy to let it flow through us and into and onto others. And when we do that, we leave a legacy. We leave a legacy. Now, legacy is something I often talk about when I'm preaching a funeral. I talk about the legacy that a person left. I'm not preaching a funeral today, but the reality is every single one of us one day is going to be there. I checked. It is still true. The death rate hovers right around 100%. Y'all can check me on that. I'm pretty sure Google will back me up. It was true like an hour ago when I looked, right? None of us are getting out of this thing alive. And every one of us is leaving a legacy, whether we're doing it intentionally or whether we're doing it accidentally. You're leaving a legacy. What legacy are you leaving? Are you leaving a legacy of love, of grace, of mercy? Or are you just leaving a legacy of chasing after your own whims, chasing after your own desires, doing life your way, just kind of letting it come to you, playing the game however, whenever? What kind of legacy are you leaving? Are you leaving the legacy that Jesus asked you to leave the example that he left for you to follow in your legacy leaving? Are you leaving a legacy of goodness and mercy? Are you bringing lost sheep home to him? Here's a real hard question. It's one that I had to stop and write down my own answer to yesterday as I finished up my preparation for today. Who are you leading? If we're all called to be good shepherds in Jesus' image, if we're all called to leave this legacy of love, of mercy, of goodness, who are you leading? Who are you leaving that legacy with? It's real easy to start writing, oh, my children, my friend. Are you really? Is that really the legacy you're leaving? Or are those just the people who are subordinate to you in some way and because of that you think you are leading them in this legacy? 
Just the fact that they're subordinate to you doesn't mean you're leading them in the right way. Doesn't mean that you are modeling for them Jesus. Doesn't mean that you are being for them a good shepherd in his image. Who are you leading? What legacy are you leaving? And who are you leaving it with? Let's move on to the second half of this passage. Some of you are relieved about that. Second half of the passage. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, that just feels so good, doesn't it? To be able to boldly proclaim, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This sheep is expressing his affection for the good shepherd and his desire to remain under the ownership of the good shepherd indefinitely forever. So let's talk about the house of the Lord for a moment. What is the house of the Lord? Well, Bible times, they often talked about being in this house or that house. They weren't talking about the physical structure. They're talking about the family, right? They're talking about the, 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 the uh, clan or the family of this person or that. I'm in the house of David. I'm in the house of what, you know. This is the house of the Lord. This is being in the family or in the case of David riding as a sheep in the flock. I will dwell in the flock of the Lord forever. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to remain under his ownership indefinitely forever. This sheep is boasting. He's bragging. He's bragging about his shepherd. As we started this message series five weeks ago, we started out with bragging, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Huh, right? He's bragging about his good shepherd. He's wrapping this passage up, bragging about his shepherd. He's so good, I want to remain in his care and under his ownership forever. He's bragging and boasting. And if you're sitting there this morning going, but wait a minute, Pastor Todd, boasting is bad. Bragging is bad. You're right if you're talking about bragging about yourself. It is a bad thing to brag about yourself. I know. I've done a little bit of it in my life. I'm fairly impressed with me. I told you all before. You can ask Trina. I'm 100% convinced that I'm 100% right 100% of the time. And you better be able to stand and argue pretty strong if you want to change my mind about something. I'm at least flexible enough to acknowledge that somebody else could be righter. Because I'm not wrong, right? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Hopefully you know I'm joking a little bit and all of that. But, but the point here is, bragging about yourself, bad. Sinful pride, right? That's sinful pride. But when you're bragging and boasting about God... Is that a bad thing? Is that sinful? If you're boasting, if you're a sheep in God's flock, a Christian, a follower of Christ, and you're telling other people about the greatness of God, about how amazing your good shepherd is, is that a bad thing? Is that, is that sinful boasting? Is that prideful boasting? Let's check out 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, and we'll get an answer on that. Some of, oh, some of y'all were already ahead of me on that. You're like, oh, we were, I knew we were going there. 1 Corinthians 1, 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31. Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, Therefore, as it is written, meaning he is quoting scripture from the Old Testament here, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, boasting about yourself, bad. Boasting about God, good. 
It's right there. It's in the New Testament, and it's in the Old Testament. And it's in there more than once in more than one place. It's good for the sheep in God's flock to boast about the good shepherd under whose care and ownership we reside and thrive. It's good for us to peek our head over the barbed wire fence and talk to the shepherd or the sheep next door and go, bah, good. <laughs> bah, good. Your shepherd, bad. My shepherd, good. Right? I won't do that anymore. <laughs> bad humor. See, y'all laugh at me when I make my jokes about my jokes. That's why I do the bad joke on the front end, so I can do the recovery joke, because the recovery joke is funny. Anyway, it's good for us to brag on God. It's good for us to share with other people, with lost sheep. It's good for us to share with other sheep in the flock the goodness of God. I rolled over in bed this morning, and I told Trina, I think God did a miracle last night. I went from being like maybe 30% health yesterday, feeling really bad, to like rolling out of bed this morning, like 85, 90% feeling good. I think the Lord did a miracle. I'm bragging on God. God did something that I could not do. Frankly, he did something that modern medicine doctors could not do without him. He can work through them. But last night, the Lord just did what the Lord can do. He did what only he can do. And so I rolled over this morning, and I bragged on God. I'm going to brag on God to y'all. God did something amazing that I'm able to stand here this morning and walk around and pace like I like to pace instead of sitting on my stool like everybody wanted me to do. I love it. God's good. Made my back feel better. That's right. He's good all the time, and all the time, God is good, right? So we should be telling the world how good the good shepherd is. You should be out there in the world telling them how good the good shepherd is. You students on the front row, you should be at school. My daughter Lauren, Allie, y'all should be at school telling other people at school how good the good shepherd is, right? Ron, you should be at work telling people that you work with how good the good shepherd is. I could pick on every one of you, but I won't. You should all be in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, with your sports teams. You should all be with strangers at the grocery store, telling them how good the good shepherd is. Share with them stories about what God is doing in your life. If you don't have a story about what God is doing in your life, double check who's care and provision and protection you are under because you might be following the wrong shepherd or you might be trying to self-shepherd, right? You could be in the flock but rejecting the leadership of God and trying to shepherd yourself. We should all be out there sharing the good news of Jesus, telling about the love and the mercy and the goodness of God. Sharing the good news. Telling the sheep where the good shepherd is. Inviting them into the church, into the fold, into the sheep pen of Jesus. So that they can come under that care and provision and protection. So they can enjoy the goodness and mercy and love of God. When life is good in the high country in the tablelands and when life is challenging in the valley of the shadow of death they can have peace as we can have peace in Christ check out Psalm 23 again I want to share with you our testimony hmm. did we freeze there it is there it is all right check out the 23rd Psalm one more time here in the 23rd Psalm, I've added some things in red. This is the testimony that each one of us who is a follower of Jesus has. This is the testimony that the sheep have about the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I submit to his authority. He is my shepherd, I submit 
to his authority. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I am well cared for. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He invests in me and he makes me better. Good stuff so far, huh? This is your testimony if you're a follower of Christ. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He sees me through the difficulties while leading me to that promised land, that high country, that good stuff, the elevated life. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. His provision and protection are superior. There is none like him. There's no one like my God. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He gives me a legacy of love, of grace, and of mercy, and he promises me eternity with him. Eternity with him. Eternity is forever. It is life beyond our life on this earth. I think we all in here can agree again, that the death rate hovers around 100%. We're all headed for death. We have a terminal disease called life, right? Your time on this earth, while it may seem long, in the context of eternity, the Bible says is a mist or a vapor. It's here in one moment, gone in the next. You, though, are made to live eternally. Every person is made to live eternally. Your physical body, we just said, is going to die. It will not live eternally. The good news is you are not a physical body. You are a soul. And that soul is clothed for a time in a physical body. And just like your clothes will wear out, your physical body will wear out. Just like you discard those worn out clothes, one day your body will be discarded, but your soul will live on. And when it lives on beyond the physical body, beyond the realm of this earth, it will reside in one of two places, heaven and hell. Yes, it's that simple. I think that's the deadliest catch in Christianity, right? Is it so stinking simple? You can reside eternally in one of two places, in either heaven or in hell. Heaven is eternal community with God. It is being in his presence, non-stop, forever. Whew. That sounds even better than all that stuff we were talking about earlier about being supremely satisfied. You talk about supremely satisfied, being in the presence, the physical presence of God Almighty forever with no, no conviction. Because right now, if you were in the physical presence of God, how many of you would be comfortable? My hand's not going up. Just, just know that, right? But in heaven, there will be no conviction. You won't feel guilty. You won't, you won't want for anything. The Bible says that there's no hurting in heaven. There's, there's no bad feelings. It's, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. And you're going to be in eternal community with God, the good shepherd, in his presence, under his care, under his provision, and his protection forever, forever. Hell, on the other hand, hell. Very different. It's eternal separation from God and from others. Eternal separation from God and from everybody else. In my BC life before Christ, I used to think, well, I might as well go to hell. I've earned it already, so why change now? And when I get to hell, I'm just going to party with all my hell-raising friends from here, right? We're just going to have one big party in hell. Somebody didn't like that. One big party in hell. That's what I thought. 
We'll just continue the party on the other side. Woohoo, let's party out. That was literally how I lived my life. Not so much. The best theologians that I can find and read say that hell is going to be an existence of utter isolation, total, eternal separation from God and from anyone and everyone else. Utter aloneness. You were made for community. You were made for relationships. There is nothing more hellish to me than the possibility of eternal isolation and separation from God and everyone else. And on top of that, you lose the provision and the protection and the care of the Good Shepherd, leaving you totally at the whims and fancies of the ultimate predator, Satan. You're in his jaws, you're in his claws forever. You ever watched a cat play with its food? A dog catch a bird or something? The way they play with it and torment it? Infinitely worse. Forever. That's hell. You may not like what I just said. I'm not real fond of that message myself. I hate delivering it, but it is the truth. I can't apologize for it. I can't polish it up, shine it, can't candy coat it. It's just what it is. But the Bible says that God doesn't want you or me to deal with that. The Bible says that God wants you and me with him. He wants us to be with him in heaven forever. He wants us to repent of our sins, to turn away from our selfish ways, and to come under the ownership and the leadership, under the provision and the care and the protection of the good shepherd Jesus. Let's go back to John chapter 10 where we started earlier today. John chapter 10. I want to reread for you briefly kind of the the preamble to that verse 11 that we read a moment ago. Starting with verse 7, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and they will find pasture. The thief, this is Satan, comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they, the sheep, you, may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That is the message of the 23rd Psalm. The good shepherd Jesus went all in for you and me. I'm going to skip forward a little bit. Jared doesn't have a slide for this. If you have your Bibles open, skip forward here in John chapter 10. Let's read verse 17 and 18. Here's what Jesus says. The reason that my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Ladies and gentlemen, that is where we pick up next Sunday, Easter Sunday, the day when we celebrate and commemorate 
that Jesus not only laid down his life, that the good shepherd not only laid down his life for you and for me, but that he took it up again. Let's pray. My Lord and my God, it is a privilege this morning to stand on this platform and to speak the truth, to talk about the goodness and the mercy of God, the goodness and mercy that you have shown us through your son, Jesus. Father, I pray this morning that many have heard that good news and that you are preparing in their heart a faith commitment to come under your ownership, your leadership, your lordship, to submit themselves as sheep in your flock and to experience the goodness and the mercy of God as you follow them all the days of their life and that they too will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you're here this morning, and you've heard this message and you realize you're following the wrong shepherd or you're shepherding yourself and you're ready to come under the ownership and leadership of God, if you're ready to become a Christian, follower of Jesus, right now while everybody's eyes are closed and everybody's head is bowed, would you just lift your hand for a moment so that I can see you, I'll acknowledge you and I wanna come and follow up with you this week. I'll make a phone call send you an email. We can have a cup of coffee. Right now, if there's anybody here ready to make that faith commitment. Fantastic. All right. Father God, we are just about to wrap up our worship gathering this morning. As we do, Lord, we're going to continue worshiping you in song and praising you in song. And we're also, Father, going to worship you with our finances. We're going to do what you call us to do. We're going to bring into your storehouse the tithe and the offering. As we do this in just a moment, I want you to know if you're visiting with us today, this is, this is not your time to give. If you're visiting, you keep your wallet in your purse or your pocket. Do it in good faith, good, good spirits. Don't worry. Unless the Lord's leading you to do something else, and then I won't argue with him. If Elevation Church is your church home, then this is your time, though, to worship God with your finances, to return to Him what He has faithfully given to you. Lord, we love you. We praise you for who you are, the good shepherd, the Savior of those who have submitted themselves to you. Father, the one who is in pursuit of those who are still wandering sheep, going their own way. Have your way with us today through this week. In Jesus' name, amen.